from this to this. This is Livable City, a regular podcast guiding us on a journey to more human places. I'm your host, Jim Hodap. I'm excited you're here to learn, to listen, and to lead. Hey everyone, it's Jim Hodap. Welcome back to another episode of Livable City. My guest today is Dawn Olson. I'm really excited about interviewing Dawn today because she's having such a big impact in her neighborhood in so many ways, yet she's super humble about it. Dawn is a communications director at Axis Architecture and Interiors in Indianapolis. She's the current Fletcher Place Neighborhood Association president and passionate defender of all things Midwest. At first, Dawn was a bit hesitant to be a guest on my podcast because she doesn't really think of herself as having much of an impact or being a formal advocate. But as I've followed her postings on Twitter and heard more about her story, let's just say I disagree. I think all of you will also agree with me that she's having quite a great impact. And this is a huge point that I want to highlight to all of you. You don't have to do formal advocacy work where you live to make a difference. Just pick something that gets you fired up that you'd like to change and then start figuring out everything about it and who you can have conversations with to begin to change it for the better. I interviewed Dawn sitting outside with my portable recording studio on a shoestring budget, and I hope the background noise of Millennium Park in Chicago is kind of a cool experience. So without further delay, let's dive into the conversation with Dawn. Dawn, welcome. Thank you uh, for joining me on this next episode of Liverpool City. Um, How exactly did you become interested in cities and, and caring about the finer details of them? I think it actually started just from my love of traveling. Um, There's my favorite book of all time is one I read when I was 12. It's called Blue Mobility and it was written by Sharon Creech. And it's about, it's a coming of age story of this girl who is 12 years old and she, you know, has traveled all over the United States with her family mostly because they're um, a low income family just trying to find work. And she ends up having this opportunity to go Um, to a boarding school in Switzerland um, because her uncle is the headmaster and I just absolutely fell in love with this idea of seeing the country and seeing the world Um, you know just from a very young age so as I got older and ended up settling into Indianapolis I I found that I loved the rhythm of of cities and, and how they function and how they work and how you can find a niche in however big they are Um, And it's always fun to travel around and just see the different elements of what makes each one work. And you start comparing, you know, transit systems and, you know, sidewalks and signage and where they put water fountains or don't. Um, Just, you know, every every little thing from the big things to the small things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And where did you come from exactly? Um, I grew up in rural Iowa. My hometown is 900 people. Um, We don't have stoplights or a grocery store, but we do have multiple bars and a Casey's gas station. Um, But it's, you know, growing up, I always thought that the world was bigger than my hometown. It's very much a place where people most of the time stay there, you know, marry people from that area and, you know, continue on, you know, generation after generation staying in the area. And I, I didn't want to limit myself to that. I I wanted to see more of the world and experience more and expose myself to more things. 
Um, so after I graduated high school, I did community college for two years and ended up transferring to Purdue. And I just kind of never left Indiana after that. <laughs> Indiana has a way of sucking you in like that. Definitely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Midwesterner through and through, though, that's for sure. <laughs> so from a small town of 900 to Indy, which metro-wide is about 2 million, that's, that's quite a change. What, what, was, what was that like, that transition? It was a little anxiety-inducing at first just because I, um, I did have a job secured, but then going into town and trying to find an apartment, this was something that was brand new to me, and I didn't know, you know, quote-unquote, good neighborhoods from bad neighborhoods, um, you know, amenities in those neighborhoods, how easy it was to get, you know, from there to my job downtown. Um, so I, I took a weekend where I went down there and just sort of did trial runs and, you know, mass apartment hunting, and uh, that was definitely an adjustment. And it's just over time, it's funny to like look back and think of where I lived at first and how I treated the city. Um, just like I, I wouldn't get out much. I would, I'd only go to places I was familiar with growing up. So like I'd still do my grocery shopping at a giant mega store that I'd drive out to the suburbs for. Or, you know, I'd still go to restaurants, you know, chain restaurants that we only had back home. And after a couple years, when I settled into the city, I was like, you know what? I can walk to this place. I don't need to drive. Or why am I eating at such and such a restaurant when I could eat at a local one? Um, and just actually going on walks too gets you to know the city more intimately and you discover all like the hidden corners, which I love. That's super fascinating. Like um, just to hear your story of how you um, went from something that was 900 people like you knew it very very well something that totally was expansive for you and how it took you time to like really live into that and live into the details is super interesting it's it's always funny because indianapolis is definitely much bigger than my hometown but it's it's funny because a lot of people back home think i live in like the big city <laughs> and I, I always have to laugh because it's like it's not chicago or not new york it's just bigger than what you're used to but <laughs> Um, some of my family members are like, oh, you're just an urbanite now. And it's, I mean, I suppose I am, but it always makes me laugh because I, I can see both sides of myself in that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. I remember that change for myself too. You know, I grew up in Milwaukee, as our listeners know, and uh, went to Indy for university. Um, and they're roughly the same size cities. But then, uh, you know, when I moved up here to Chicago. Um, I had a similar type of thing where like I was, I was walking on Michigan Avenue uh, about this time of year, uh, a little bit into November, and there's holiday shoppers and the sidewalks were packed. And it was the first time I felt myself like my heart race and felt a little claustrophobic, like, oh man, what, what have I done? Um, but now I'm totally used to it, you know, and I visit yep. New York City and I come back to Chicago and I'm like, we need more people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, it's so funny because like growing up, like you had to drive, like we didn't, you know, you have to go at least 15 miles to go to jobs, you know, the doctor, you know, grocery stores, whatever. So it's always funny now, like whatever city I go to, I just like quickly like pull up, I download the app for whatever city that is, be like, okay, bus is going to be here in five minutes, no big deal. Like it's, it's just gotten to be so natural for me versus back home. I have to like, I feel like I have to plan out my trips because I have to have a car now. <laughs> so shifting gears a little bit, um, Don, tell us a little bit about you and your work in advocating for a better Fletcher Place neighborhood in Indianapolis where you live. 
Um, yeah, so I am the president of the Fletcher Place Neighborhood Association. Um, I took over um, this past January, so I've uh, not quite a year I've been in that position. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a humbling position because it puts me in the place where I have to speak for my residents, you know, what, what they want, what they believe is right. So the most important thing to me is making sure that we advocate for the character of the neighborhood. Um, you know, we have the second oldest neighborhood in Indianapolis after Lockerbie Square. So it's very important that we continue to have just this nice communal feel where neighbors know each other and stay in touch and everything's walkable and, you know, we don't have cars speeding through, which is an issue on McCarty Street. Um, but, uh, <laughs> not that you're bitter or anything. <laughs> not, not that I have opinions on that. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely an important part of it. But it's also... You know, when people ask me, like, well, what do you do? It's, you know, I mean, yes, I lead the neighborhood association meetings and, you know, we try to talk through land use committee issues and zoning, you know, uh, variances that come up. But it's also little things like uh, the Urban Times is our, um, it's a urban newspaper that's delivered to all the historic neighborhoods in downtown Indianapolis, Fletcher Place included. So once the, those get printed once a month and I'm responsible for delivering some of them in my neighborhood. And there are other also wonderful volunteers in my neighborhood that, that do it to the area as well. And then there's also things like our neighborhood trash cans that um, they are not uh, managed by the city that we also have to do. And I think those are just small things that, you know, people in my neighborhood do in order to keep it beautiful and maintained and, you know, just livable. And I'm not sure everyone knows that the kind of volunteer work that goes into being part of you know the neighborhood association board or just the neighborhood association in general that sounds amazing like i, I know you were struggling uh when we were talking before about you know this feeling like it's not enough and, and uh like it's pretty unremarkable but to me at least this feels like participating in some amazing details that make for a much more livable Indianapolis. Like, for example, what if uh, your neighborhood didn't have those trash cans and you weren't, you and folks weren't ha- helping to make sure that they were uh, emptied in that? Um, it'd be a different experience in your neighborhood. So I don't, I don't think you should uh, discount that, and it should be celebrated. And it's like absolutely what um, this podcast is about. So um, that's really exciting to hear about that. Thanks. So as the neighborhood uh, president of Fletcher Place, are, are there any challenges that you're specifically trying to address that are directly related to the livability of your neighborhood? So luckily for me, we do have a pretty established neighborhood already, which is nice. Um, you know, we have lots, the cultural trail came in and has changed the neighborhood um, quite a bit in the last several years. You know, we have all kinds of businesses along it, which is fantastic. You know, we have these new apartments and all of that. And because of that, we've had a lot of, you know, new people move into the neighborhood. And it's, you know, sometimes it's young professionals. Sometimes it's, you know, retirees who want to move back downtown and downsize. And I think one of one of the things I would like to do is making sure that the association in the neighborhood reflects, you know, the historic integrity of the neighborhood, which was historically Italian, and all of the individuals who are coming, who are new to downtown now. Um, and I think part of the reason why I, I wanted to be president is just because I wanted to show that, 
you know, we can, we're a diverse neighborhood in age, in race, and, you know, even in equity, all these different kinds of things. Um, you know, I, I don't even own a house. I've been renting for the past six years. I've lived in the same apartment for six years. Absolutely love it. And even though I'm a renter, I'm still a resident of Fletcher Place. And that's the kind of the viewpoint I want to get across to everyone who lives there, whether they own a home or they're living in one of the apartment complexes or in the condos. It doesn't matter, you know, what type of dwelling you live in or how long you've lived there. You are still a resident of that neighborhood, and I want it to be a place not only where you live, but where you want to stay. You know, it's more than just, you know, like live, work, play, eat, you know, dine, entertain there. It's like, no, I want you to stay there long term and be a part of continuing to build that neighborhood's character long term. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you think you get... um folks involved that, uh, you know, traditionally maybe um, neighbors might think aren't the most reliable, like the ones that are renters, right? And they're temporary or um, maybe they're of the age where they where they typically don't get involved in, in local stuff. So what what do you think? How do you, how do you get these folks involved in your neighborhood? Bribes. No. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly easier for uh, older generations to get involved. Um, sometimes because they have more time on their hands or it's, it's something, you know, they, they care about in general. I mean, you're absolutely right that uh, people in my generation, you know, young professionals, millennials, all that kind of thing, um, they're not necessarily prone to getting involved in community organizations. Um, the things that have drawn people um, closer to my age into things are um, just kind of like the goofier, fun events, whether you're doing like pub crawls and stuff like that um, through the neighborhoods. Um, we have bocce ball in my neighborhood. That's a big thing. And that draws individuals of all ages. Um, so I want to try and start using that as a draw because, again, like some of the apartment complexes don't even know that we have bocce tournaments in our neighborhood. Um, there's a lot of people in the city who get involved in it, actually. Um, and just maybe even draw attention to you know our own festival. We have the Italian Street Festival every year in June. Um, that draws lots of people and always you know is always a lot of fun. Um, fried ravioli for the win. Um, and it's just I want to try. It's it is a challenge because I, I want to try and work kind of with the apartment complexes in general and see what sort of activities that they hold within their own complexes or what they push and find successful. Um, and then also use their means of communication to reach the people in those buildings. Um, so it's just a, kind of a lot of like strategic, creative thinking about how to reach them in the first place and then seeing, you know, what events or, you know, get togethers are successful and or what ones aren't. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong here, is it's kind of the the little details um, and it's kind of finding people a little bit of where they're at today and what they're interested in and trying to blend that into some interesting things that aren't necessarily that big that big in scope but that that could be interesting to them that they could get involved in that um, though it may not be like get involved with putting in an extension of the cultural trail or something major like that or a, a transit line that would radically impact them but it's it's things that I'm sure make people sit back and, and think, I love this neighborhood uh, because of all these little things that it offers. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, I don't um, <laughs> I don't want more people to join just so there are more people to do things. Um, <laughs> there's a I, I 
I just I want people to join the neighborhoods association or get more involved just so they can meet other people in their neighborhood. Um, I, I lived here for a few years before I got involved in the neighborhood association myself, and only after I joined the association did I meet half of the neighborhood. It's just. I, and I have no idea why I didn't join sooner. Like, that's definitely a regret of mine. Um, so it'd just be, I, I would love to encourage people who aren't already members or who aren't already, quote unquote, involved, just to come to an event to meet their neighbors and just get to learn more about them and, you know, just make connections and just have fun, honestly. And then in turn, if there is something they're interested in, like, you know, land use committee and zoning or, you know, um, you know, organizing neighborhood cleanups and working with Keep Indianapolis Beautiful, um, you know, all the different kinds of committees and they want to help out with that. Great. But it's never an expectation. Don, why do you feel like it's important to get involved and help make our cities and our towns more livable? There are just so many areas, you know, that help make a city livable, you know, all different kinds of categories from transit to, you know, related things like pedestrian safety and bike infrastructure. Um, And then you have issues like, you know, income inequality and food deserts and even, you know, access to transportation, um, access to education, Um, you know, just all these different kinds of things. And I, I don't think any one person can be an expert in any of those, or or can be an expert in all of those issues. So I I think it's a good idea that if there's something that you're passionate about and you have, you know, the time and energy to advocate for it or to volunteer, to help out, you know, to share an opinion, that you should definitely do it because all of these pieces work together in the long run to create, you know, a better community. there's a lot of work on East 10th Street right now in Indianapolis. Um, they got some additional grant money and they're working to restore this, you know, historic um, theater from the early 20s that has long since fallen into disrepair. But it's not so much just the theater. Um, that's kind of the catalyst, like the cornerstone of the project. But the larger scale is how can it tie into you know the elementary school across the street how can we help continue you know for whatever adaptive use the theater becomes how can that complement the elementary school how can 10th street not just become you know kind of this arterial street through the near east side but be a place for people to stop how can it be sustainable for the people who are already there and those are kind of like the deep thinking questions that you know, people need to consider when, when they're advocating to, to how to make a better city. Because it's not making, it's not about making the city better for you. It's about how to make it better for, for everyone and how to, how to make it equitable for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, you reminded me that one of the big themes here on Livable City is remembering that cities, as cool as they are, right, the architecture and the transit and all the different things that make up a city, it's they're mind-blowing, but if they're not connecting people, then what's the point, right? Cities are about relationships to each other and bettering um, our lives together. What are some of the livability strengths of Indianapolis where you live and you work? Um, So I am very lucky in that I am able to live and work downtown. I know not everyone in Indianapolis is. But because of that, I actually have been car-free for three years. Um, 
I, my, my last car basically died on college and I abandoned it for three days before figuring out what I wanted to do with it. Um, scrapped it and just never replaced it. So it's Indianapolis, uh, downtown Indianapolis specifically, um, it, it is actually really walkable and I'm not sure everyone realizes how walkable it is, but I can get from my apartment in Fletcher Place to Monument Circle, the heart of the city in 20 minutes tops, you know, just walking, um, you know, biking, it's 10 minutes. Um, it's, it's just so easy to get around and thanks to, you know, some new developments and just, you know, attention has turned downtown to help, you know, revitalize it um, and try to erase this um, misconception that it's unsafe. Um, so there's just all sorts of new amenities going in, in addition to restaurants. Like there's a, a new CVS downtown, all kinds of new apartments. Um, every, everything you could, you need is downtown. Like, so for me, my eye doctor's downtown, my dentist is dark downtown, my doctor's downtown, my pharmacy, uh, the hardware store, the grocery stores, everything is right there. And I can walk or bike to it. Um, the cultural trail is super, super helpful in that it, um, is a big element of connectivity to all these different areas. Um, that helps. We have the new red line, um, I am definitely pro-transit, pro-indigo, pro-redline. So that, uh, again, I'm, I'm privileged that I have a stop just a few blocks from my apartment. So I'm able to hop on that and take it, you know, all the way north up to Broad Ripple if I want. Um, so that has helped, I think, connect different parts of the city and help people explore transit as well and get used to the idea that maybe they can also, you know, be a, go to a one-car or a car-free family. Um, and then there's also, there's, uh, the electric car share program, Blue Indy. Um, I'm also a member of that. So I'll, uh, snag one of those sometimes if I need to do a, a big errand run and, um, aren't able to carry everything. So I think there's, Indy's definitely gotten better at trying to connect to other parts of the city and also offer other, you know, multimodal options. It's, it's. By, all, by no means it's not perfect, but they're trying so hard and the city has changed so much just in the handful of years I've been there. That's amazing. And for those who aren't familiar with Indianapolis, it's, uh, it's about a 400 square mile uh, area of city that encompasses both cornfields all the way to the densest parts of the state of Indiana. And so that's that's the downtown square mile, um, which Dawn lives close to there in the Fletcher Place neighborhood. and. To live car-free in Indy is um, a remarkable achievement uh, for Dawn and anybody else who does it. When I lived there, I was car light, um, thankfully, because I, I work from home. But it's uh, it's it's uh, counterintuitive that you could do that in Indy, given what I just said about it. And yet, Dawn has done it, um, and that's that's credit to the city and a lot of these. Uh, um, additions that the city has added lately in terms of livability it's yeah being uh, whenever i tell people i don't have a car they're always like what like they're, 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 they're really surprised by it and i i don't blame them because indianapolis was built for the automobile um and it's uh it is it's a it's not as sprawling as some cities, but it does have some sprawl to it. And there are a lot of areas that you can only get to by car. Um, and that's, that's what I mean by saying I'm, I'm privileged to live downtown and, and near a bus line and near the rideshare is because if I lived in another part of the city, um, in an even more affordable part, I 
I would have to have a vehicle or I'd have to walk, you know, 20 minutes to a nearest bus station or it, it would, it would be hard. But like I said, Indy, Indy's getting a lot better. And I'm, I'm, I am proud to say that I am car free and it, it just goes to show that it, it is possible. You can, you can do it. And you know, on a related topic, being car free has actually made me a better driver. That's ironic. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's um it works out just because I spend so much time on uh, my feet or on my bike now. Um, so when I do drive, I'm very conscientious of what I you know of people on the sidewalk, of others on the street. You know, whether on bikes or scooters or anything. Um, I, I take more, I'm much more cautious at basically any intersection, you know, I'm, I'm not double checking or triple checking anymore. I'm like quadruple checking and like, it sounds so silly, but it's just like, no, I'm abiding by the speed limits because I realize that, you know, I, I need to defer to the most vulnerable person that's out there. And the most vulnerable person, you know, when you're traveling around is a pedestrian. So I need to make sure that whatever I do, I, I keep them in mind when I'm driving. Absolutely. Like, when you're driving, especially in today's cars, which are very uh, safe, very protective uh, metal cages, um, it's easy to forget that uh, when people are walking, they're vulnerable, right? They're, they're not protected. And even if you were going five miles an hour, you would still inflict quite a bit of damage. So um, that, that's what makes what you just said really interesting. Um, that it's a good reminder for everybody if you aren't used to walking and experiencing your city at that pedestrian level at that walking level or even biking try it on for size try try your city or your town on for size and see how it is and it might change how you drive or it might also change like um how you get around like maybe there's a trip that you can take that doesn't even require your car. What are some things about Indianapolis that you think you'd want to change, uh, especially in terms of, of livability? Um, off the top of my head, I think we need more bike infrastructure. Again, it's something we've gotten better at. Um, with the implementation of the red line, um, there's been um, some you know protected bike lanes and stuff that have gone in. Um, but it's it's a learning curve, again, for a, for a city that's built for the automobile. Um, there, there's, there's been some incidents. People aren't uh, used to having uh, fewer lanes to drive in. Um, aren't used to having to yield to, you know, cyclists or you know, buses or anything like that. But um, for as many people that are willing to commute to work via cycling um, or just you know use it for recreation, you know, even people, you know, electric scooters are hugely popular in Indianapolis, and those are you know welcome in bike lanes so even if we had you know more infrastructure they, they can use those too and it and I think it would encourage people to be more active because they would feel safer um, that's the problem with having a lack of that type of infrastructure is people don't want to be out on the streets because they feel like they're going to get hit and I understand that um, that you know that's just one thing off the top of my head but yeah, larger scale, you know, if I were running for mayor or whatever, it would all be about, you know, uh, food deserts and, you know, trying to make sure people have access to, to food and education and, and, and transportation and all that. And it's, um, you know, and, and going off of the transportation thing, we, we do have the red line and now they're starting to work on the blue line, which is, um, which will be east-west. So that'll 
start on the east side of Indianapolis and go all the way west to the airport. Um, so that'll, you know, bring access to a whole dearth of just different neighborhoods who honestly, I think, needed it more than those along the red line. But I think the red line was an easier one for the city and for Indigo to sell to do first. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, um, you know, thinking about Indy or maybe even uh, more broadly uh, U.S. cities or any city or town, what, what prevents these types of changes that seem so obvious to yourself um, that increase the, the standard of living, the livability of a city? What, what prevents these cities from implementing some of these things? I think part of it, it, it's funny because I have done a lot of traveling and a lot of the cities I go to are just much older than Indianapolis. I mean, yeah, we're, we're a 200-year-old city, but when you go to Europe or, you know, or travel internationally, you've got cities that are hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years old. So they've had a lot more time to figure out how to get things quote-unquote right. <laughs> um, and it's... It, I think the biggest thing is just changing people's mindsets. Um, you know, here in the States, we, you know, we have, we just have a lot of room in general. Our country is enormous, you know, so there's always room to, you know, you know, move south, move west, move all these different directions, or just expand the city, you know, and all the, you know, in, in different directions. And I, I think that's kind of what encouraged us to be you know, pro automobile and, and depend on them so much is just, we, we had all the space and we needed a way to cover it. Um, and you know, a lot of densely popular, you know, densely populated cities or older cities, they, they don't have that. They're, everything is within close walking distance. They've, they've kind of got a leg up on us on that. Yeah. I think the, I think the greatest challenge is, is going back to the idea of, of changing our mindset. I mentioned that I, you know, have been car-free for a few years, but, you know, when I first lost it, it, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, I thought I wouldn't be able to survive because how would I get to places? Um, and it was changing my habits, and it, it really wasn't as difficult as I thought. It, it, you know, it just came as a shock to me is all. And I, I think that's the thing, is we've gotten so used to, you know, kind of, as, as, a, as a country, as, you know, Americans that we, we drive everywhere, we have drive-through pharmacies and drive-through restaurants and everything, that we don't think to often get out of our cars or just, you know, kind of leave them behind and just get out and walk and explore and experience things as they are. Um, you know, even when we go home, a lot of times we have big expansive yards and, you know, fenced in yards and a lot of people don't even know their own neighbors and you know it, it changes your entire perspective of your community and of your city if you have a better understanding of the people who are around you yeah absolutely so I hear you saying um, <clears throat> it's important to um, be open to new experiences about where we live um, and, and being open to new ways to experience it the changes that can be done to it that will really change the livability of them. And it's important to do that because otherwise, um, you know, we live with the status quo and the status quo today is there are 40,000 people that die each year in the U.S. For, related to cars, for example. Um, I don't know the stats off the top of my head of how many people are, are dying while biking or 
committing suicide because they're isolated uh, where they live or other factors like that. But um, you bring up, you know, important related things about that. It's yeah, I like kind of what you said. Yeah, it's like you get used to the status quo, and it's um, it. It honestly, this brings me back kind of to. Uh, to my hometown you know it's it's really small and everyone knows each other and in order to get anywhere you you admittedly have to drive um it's i mean that's the good part everybody does know each other because it, it's small but the idea oftentimes the idea of going to a larger city um is is scary because people have been there for you know in, in that hometown for generations so um it's it's not something they're used to and because they you know the idea of using public transportation is foreign you know of walking to the grocery store is foreign you know being surrounded by all these different people who are different from you um it's it's kind of an intimidating idea and all those factors together you know become they they view you know cities oftentimes as like it's scary or dangerous and that's not that's not necessarily true. <laughs> Absolutely. And our towns, our small towns and our medium-sized towns, not even classified as the cities, used to be much more livable too, where you didn't require a car to get around them. They were uh, just smaller versions of big cities. Right? They were dense in their own way, and you could safely walk to um, a grocery store or a flower shop or a restaurant or something like that and know everybody um, that way. So it's interesting that you bring up that, you know, our, a lot of folks in the U.S. and in smaller towns or, or medium-sized towns are scared of larger cities. But in the U.S., I think larger cities are typically associated with being the most livable, walkable ones. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's why, like, I do call this podcast Livable City, but it really is about all the places that we live and making them all more livable. That's a great point. Yeah, because there's, like you said, like any size community, city, you know, neighborhood that you're in, there's always, I guarantee there's probably always something that you can do to make it better for the people who are there. Um, yeah, like in Indianapolis, we need access to, we definitely have a lot of food deserts. Um, and in my hometown, we could also use a grocery store because <laughs> there's nothing there, come to think of it. Everybody needs to eat, right? <laughs> yep. So, Don, as we wrap up this wonderful conversation, um, anything else you want to tell our listeners? Yeah, I. Um, the reason that, you know, kind of uh, pedestrian and safety and cycling safety and bike infrastructure is, is top of mind right now is because um, about two weeks ago, a driver hit me with her car. Um, Not very nice. <laughs> no. Um, what made it worse is that she hit me with her car and then drove off. So... But just just to make sure everybody knows, Dawn is okay. She's sitting next to me. <laughs> I I literally did walk away from the situation, which I'm very grateful for. But uh, in the moment, I was I admit I was absolutely furious. Um, so I'm I'm an avid runner, and I was out running that night. Um, and I, it was downtown Indianapolis, and I had the I was waiting at, across you know at an intersection across, and the light changed. I had the right of way. So I start going down this path and um, a woman in her car on the road parallel to me decided to turn left, tried to turn left in front of me in the intersection. And I saw her last minute out of the corner of my eye. And I don't know 
if she flat out didn't see me, if she wanted to try and beat me, I don't know what it was, but um, she, she braked at the last minute, and it was one of those moments where, you know, it happens so quickly, but somehow you see it slow motion in your own head, and in this process, I literally thought, like, well, maybe if I, like, jump onto her hood this will be less painful. Um, so I, I kind of did this like awkward side dive onto her hood. Um, so I, I had a few bruises on my hip, which are about gone now, thank goodness. And I, I awkwardly elbowed myself in the ribs. Um, and luckily those were my only injuries. Um, so like I said, I literally walked away. But after I, I slid off of her car, she looked at me for about one second and then just took off. And what what's bothered me the most after this isn't so much the physical injuries because bruises heal. It, it was the lingering feelings of this woman didn't didn't care, value me as a human being, as a person, as a life. Like she literally ran into me with her car and then didn't care enough to ask if I was okay. That's pretty awful, but. I mean, this is a great reminder <clears throat> of what we were just talking about a moment ago, um, about the status quo in our cities, in our towns, in our places, that it needs to change, right? There are very real things like this, where Dawn was very fortunate that she's okay, but many others, as I said before, in the U.S. alone, 40,000 a year are not so lucky uh, related to the current status quo of transportation in the United States, and so... Things do need to change, and this is a great reminder of that. There, yeah, we actually had a, a death in Indianapolis. I think it was a 19-year-old. Um, it, it was a teenager. He was um, he was either biking or, or or was walking, and he recently died um, because terrible. of a of a traffic injury. Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, you know that's that's kind of one of the things I want to start advocating for now. Um, this incident has really. I want to take the frustration I felt with this incident and push it to something more positive, like, you know, like advocating for this type of infrastructure. Because um, I want more people to feel safe and to feel like it's okay to do this. Um, and it's, I, I want to try and push the idea that, you know, cities shouldn't be car first, they should be people first. Absolutely. Yeah, we're so glad you're okay, Don. Um, so, you know, as, I, as we finish up here, um, just want to give you a chance to say where folks can find you online. Yeah, um, you can. I'm uh, active on both Twitter and Instagram. My handle is the same. It is at D Marie Olson, um, O L S E N. Um, so Twitter sometimes I share weird pictures of cats, and on Instagram it's a lot of architecture. Well, Don, thank you very much for joining us today, and it's been a pleasure. And we'll have to do this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, I love that interview with Dawn. Isn't she just awesome? The thing I want to highlight with that interview with Dawn that I think is a key takeaway for everybody who listens to this podcast is Dawn is just your average citizen in Indianapolis. And she has chosen to do what she can, right? By stepping up as her neighborhood president and um, getting involved with the, the local folks in her neighborhood. Um, she experiences her city at the street level on a regular basis and she just notices. So I wanna encourage everybody to do the same type of thing 
Think about where you live, your place, what you can do, what you can sign up for. Doesn't have to be huge, just get started. That's what's important. As we uh, sign off for this week's episode, I want to uh, remind you to join us in the Facebook group. That link is in the show notes. And one thing I'm starting to do is doing prepared questions there. So I'll have um, some questions about this episode to get you thinking some more. Please participate if you're interested. Leave your thoughts there and let's get a conversation going. Thank you so much to everybody for joining this episode of Liberal City. If you know somebody else who would benefit or seriously enjoy this topic of advocacy, of being inspired to get involved where you live, please share this podcast with them in all the normal podcast locations like Apple, Google, Spotify. And be sure to come back yourself in the next two weeks for the next episode. And we're really looking forward to it. I've got an awesome lineup of some really interesting folks for the future episodes. So make sure you hit subscribe and I will see you next time.